All right, so we have just one verse that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at other verses, but one verse we're going to read as part of our scripture, and you'll see it up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So even though it's just one verse, we'll be looking at a number of other passages in 1 Corinthians, so I do strongly encourage you to open up your Bible and have it open so we can look at this. In your pew Bible, page 962, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Now you see very clearly this morning in our one verse that this verse is all about work and labor. And it may seem a bit odd for us to be talking about topics of work and labor this morning because after all, Labor Day is tomorrow. And the last thing we should be hearing about is more work. Don't we need to hear about rest? I mean, so few of us get rest these days. We all are, as everyone tells me and I tell everyone else, we're all so busy. We have a frenetic pace of life. I mean, even case in point, retired people. My, my dear widowed retired mother can only take my call one-third of the time because she's so busy. At least that's what she tells me. <laughs> Maybe that's not the case, as I just thought about that this morning. Anyway, um, everyone is busy. Marty, don't we need an exhortation about rest and rejuvenation and not hear more about work and labor? Well, let's think about the topics of work and labor this morning as we look about at this passage and see what it says. Maybe we'll change our minds. The first thing to notice about our passage is that it is a very important passage. Notice it begins with a therefore. Now, Paul is making a concluding, consequential statement here. He is offering to the Corinthians a one-sentence exhortation, and he's offering it to us as well. And when we understand the context of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, we'll see that the stakes are actually heightened. It's not just a very consequential statement, it's a very important topic. Paul's drawing his letter to the Corinthians to a close. And of the many topics he's choosing to end the book with, this topic in chapter 15 is of utmost importance. Paul says so himself. Turn back to chapter 15, verse 1. Just flip the page over, perhaps. Turn back to what he's saying all before this therefore sentence, so we understand. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to twelve. Now go down to verse 12 and we'll pick it up. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we had hoped in Christ, we of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. You see, this chapter is all about the pinnacle moment of Christianity, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why this chapter is of utmost or of first importance, as Paul says there in verse 3. And then he focuses in on the resurrection, and Paul says that the fact of the resurrection is the hinge point on which your entire faith hangs. If Christ isn't raised, well, then our faith is in vain, verse 14. We have no hope for the future, verse 16. We are still in our sins, verse 17. Our loved ones, our dear loved ones that Chris just prayed about, they're gone from us forever, verse 18. And we're a bunch of pathetic time wasters, verse 19. Well, in the rest of the chapter, Paul wants to make us to know, he wants to make sure we know that none of those accusations are true. Jesus' resurrection is a fact, And so our resurrection will be a fact as well. So I'd say this chapter is really important, isn't it? And Paul comes, if you flip back over to verses 54 and onward to the end of the chapter, read how this chapter comes to a crescendo closing. 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor labor is not in vain. Our lives do matter. What we do here counts. And everything forward changes because of the resurrection. Therefore, Paul says in verse 58, what kind of people ought you to be? If you believe in the resurrection, how should you live? And Paul gives us a straightforward one-sentence answer to that question. How should you live if you believe in the resurrection? Always abound in the work of the Lord, because in that work your labor will not be in vain. So our first observation about this text, it is indeed a consequential text, The resurrection changes everything. If you believe in the resurrection, then you will be immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Our second observation about the text comes from the first. And it's, we really must understand this this little phrase, abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it's really important, isn't it? Now this passage really isn't only about work and labor as it relates to what you do for a living. How you get paid. Instead, it has everything to do with how you spend your energy, both physical and mental. What do you work for? What do you labor for? How do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy? Does being a Christian who believes in the resurrection from the dead make any practical difference in how you spend your labors, your time, your energy, than your non-Christian neighbors? Well, to get under the skin of what this verse, is re- this verse is really saying and how it applies to us, maybe we should ask of this verse or ask a different question. Let me ask you this. 
What would you do if you had more time, more free time? Some of you have tomorrow off, and you'll choose to use your free time to go to the Canfield Fair and eat some food. Other people will choose to go to the pool. It's supposed to be a hot day. Others will have a family picnic. That's how you choose to use your free time. What would happen if you had that opportunity the next day and the next day and the next day? I was listening to a podcast earlier this summer and I was struck by a certain segment that I'm going to paraphrase out for you here in a second. It actually fueled my thinking on this sermon. It's by a guy named Clay Jenkinson. He's a historian and humanities scholar and his podcast is very good and he comes to a conclusion of his podcast with this. What will we do if we have extra time? What are we going to do with our increasing free time? What would happen if this robotic, virtual, and automated revolution plays itself out? What if we no longer needed to work? Or if we needed to work much less to have the same standard of living? What if you had significant amounts of free time? This has been the dream of humanity since the beginning. What if the curse of Genesis 3.19 is reversed and we live in a world where all the necessities and some of the superfluities of life will be effortlessly provided for us. Well, we could use our time to attend to self-improvement and self-actualization. What if you had all the time in the world, what would you do? Would you take up yoga or ballet, tai chi, long distance running? Would you paint, sculpt, knit, crochet, knead artisanal bread? Would you learn a new language? Would you hike the Appalachian Trail? Would you read the complete works of Tolstoy, Dickens, Dostoevsky, Orwell? Would you grow a weedless organic garden and eat from the fruits of your hand 300 days a year? Would you take up carpentry and make fine furniture for your friends? Would you take up falconry, archery, or Mongolian chanting? Well, it looks as if God and civilization may finally call our bluff. How many of us have said... If I only had more time, I would. Would we make art, make music, make wine? Or would we watch Wheel of Fortune and pipe sports and talking head news shows into our home theaters 94% of our free time? Would we run marathons or just watch NCIS marathons? Would we make goat cheese and home presses? Or just press mainline processed cheese from a box into our gullets? We go to Nassau or watch NASCAR? Volunteerism or Velveeta? The jury is still out, but so far it doesn't look good. I fear, oh I fear, Jenkinson says, that the epitaph of our American civilization has already been written in this one line written by Anglo-Indian novelist Salman Rushdie when he says, Oh, dream America, was your quest for a great civilization to end in obesity and trivia? Feel the squeeze? I certainly did. Maybe I'm not as busy as I tell you I am. Maybe I have more discretionary time than I think. And with all respect, maybe you do as well. The curse in Genesis 3.16 is not reversed yet, but I do take his point that perhaps God is calling our bluff when we compare how busy we tell everybody with the 
vast amounts of time we spend in front of screens or in social media or blogs or TV or sports. When we compare what we say we would do if we only had more free time with what we actually do with the free time we have now. It certainly does seem that the quest we are on as Americans, as Americans is the pursuit of obesity and trivia. So what should we do? Do we, as Jenkinson proposes, we pursue self-actualization and substance, take up a hobby that means something, labor in reading a great classic, work hard towards running a marathon? Do we stop wasting so much of our time and energy on matters of trivia? The answer clearly is yes. So we've taken one step toward understanding 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Let's actually get busy with something, something of substance. In light of the resurrection, I am not sure we need more rest. That will come. Now we need more work. At least that's what Paul seems to say. Work and labor towards something meaningful is living out of the reality of the resurrection. But is Paul simply giving us a command to get busy living or get busy dying? I don't think so. Let's keep unpacking our ideas. I have quite a fascination with the Lewis and Clark expedition, America's odyssey story of how we went west and conquered the west. And the expedition's captain, Meriwether Lewis, well, he grew up just within miles of Thomas Jefferson's Monticello. And Jefferson became somewhat of a father to Lewis. In fact, when Jefferson got uh, elected president, he asked Lewis to move into the White House with him to be his personal secretary. And then Jefferson asked Lewis to do this all-important expedition. The Louisiana Purchase was just purchased, and they needed to explore it, and he asked Lewis to get some men to explore the new territory. In 1803, Lewis began his journey and eventually led 40 men up the mighty Missouri River in a grueling two-and-a-half-year mission to explore the West. Lewis was the first American to celebrate the 4th of July west of the Mississippi. He was the first American to cross the Continental Divide out west. He accomplished some pretty amazing things in his 30 years. And with all that, Listen to what Meriwether Lewis wrote on his 31st birthday in his journal just a few days after he crossed the Continental Divide. This day, I completed my 31st year and conceived that I had, in all human probability, now existed about half the period which I am to remain in this subliminary world. I reflected I had done as yet very little, very little indeed, to further the happiness of the human race or to advance the information of the succeeding generation. I viewed with regret the many hours I have spent in indolence and now sorely feel the want of that information which those hours would have given me had they been judiciously expended. But since they are past and not, cannot be recalled, I dashed from me the gloomy thought and resolved in the future to redouble my exertions and to live for mankind as I have heretofore lived for myself. For all that Lewis did, he knew, he just knew that it wasn't enough. His issue wasn't laziness or browsing the internet too much. When he penned that journal entry, he was in the midst of the most laborious, hard work thing he had, had ever done, and certainly probably anybody had ever done. 
But he knew his labors to this point in his life weren't enough. What do you think about your labors and your life? Even at your best, like Lewis, you have to concede time has been wasted. Whether on indolence or on hard work, no matter what they may be. See, you may have great achievements in your career, in athleticism, or social status. But certainly you would this morning concede a sore want of the time gone by to be returned to you. See, for Lewis, the issue wasn't work. The issue is that he saw all his labors as self-serving vanity. See, it may be marginally better for you to commit yourself to something of more substance in your life. Learning French, doing CrossFit, mastering chess. It may be better for your waistline and for your mind, but in the end, it's all labor in vain, isn't it? Think about the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but what the great teacher in Ecclesiastes who's examined all these ideas, he comes to the conclusion and basically says that the same thing that happens to the person who can effortlessly quote Cicero as a person who quotes Ricky Bobby. The same thing ultimately happens to the person who can run a five-minute mile happens to the person who takes five minutes to get up a small flight of steps. In the end, it is all so very vain and meaningless because as Solomon, the great teacher, says, there'll be no more remembrance of you. Death renders everything vain and meaningless. Yes, we should be convicted on how we spend our time. Yes, it may be better to labor in reading America's great founding fathers than watching American Ninja Warrior. It may be better to work towards a better body than accumulating more followers on Twitter. But I think there's more to it in our verse here. See, the resurrection changes everything about the future. And that's what Solomon didn't have clarity on. But the resurrection also changes everything about now. It changes the things we pursue with our effort, our time, our work, our labor, our energy. Does your work showcase that you believe that everyone will be raised for judgment See, we don't pursue things just because they might be marginally more substantive than other things. In the end, as Ecclesiastes reminded us, everything, most everything, we rendered as laboring for things in vain. That's the negative side of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. What we shouldn't do, labor for things in vain. But what should we do? Perhaps a modern day Solomon will help us. Will Smith. And the musician and actor quoted this summer in an interview, said, the idea is, I've been, top, I've been on top of money. I've had all the women that I've ever wanted. I've had all the adoration. I've been to the top of all those material world mountains, and nothing makes you happy other than being useful to others. That's it. The only thing that will ever, ever satisfy that thing is that you will be doing something useful for someone else. He's right, isn't he? You can pursue self-actualization. You can pursue self-improvement. But it isn't until you're useful to other people that you'll ever be satisfied. So let's recap here for a second where we've got to. Our issue is not that we're too busy. The issue is, are we busy with the right things? What are you using your time, your energy, your labor, your efforts for? 
Yes, we probably should seek more substance in our lives, but even that substance is so often self-serving and ultimately will be rendered as vain. Therefore, we should seek to be useful to other people. Is that what this verse is saying? The problem with saying yes to that is that Will Smith's understanding of life is, is no different than the conclusion we just came to. The resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? So how is our lives as Christians who believe in the resurrection, how are our lives going to be different than Will Smith? So our last piece in answering our question from the beginning is to find out exactly what the work of the Lord is. Because Paul says abounding in the work of the Lord is the most important thing you can be found doing if you believe in the resurrection. So what does it mean to abound into the work of the Lord? Well, it could mean that we work really hard at those Christian things we know we should do more of. Read our Bible and pray. Discipline our bodies to be good, godly, moral people. Fine-tune our budget so we can give more money. Serve people around us. You know, neighborly acts of kindness, soup kitchens, that kind of thing. But I think Paul has something much more specific in mind here. So instead of reading current history or history and current events, let's see what the Bible itself says about this idea of what the work of the Lord is. So go back to chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, look there at verse 10. You'll see this same phrase used by Paul. 16.10, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. What did Paul and Timothy do alongside of each other? The work of the Lord. Now flip back to chapter 15, verse 10. Chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. What did Paul work so hard in? Promoting the gospel. What does Paul stay busy with in his labors and his efforts? Getting the gospel out. Now look at the same chapter, verse 30. 1530, why am I in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, if the dead are not raised, then Paul's point of suffering, his efforts in suffering, is all in vain. Some people will be raised to eternal life and some people will be raised to eternal judgment but all people will be raised so Paul says this is why I beat my body and take all this persecution and suffer all these things all so that Jesus Christ will be preached otherwise we might as well just live like the pagans eat drink for tomorrow we will die now one more section here go back a few chapters to chapter 9 in this, chap, this section, chapters 9, 10, and 11, it's Paul talking about why he becomes all things to all people. Look what Paul puts the effort into in his life. Chapter 9, verse 18. Chapter 9, 18. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Go to verse 22. To the weak I become weak that I may win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now drop down to chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What is the total sum of Paul's existence in every single thing he does, whether he's working or eating or resting? What is it? All for the sake of the gospel so that some may be saved. And then Paul, there in 11.1, asked the Corinthians to imitate him in this lifestyle because that's imitation, imitating the Lord Jesus Christ. What would it look like if you were to commit all of you your energy, your toil, your affections to see some saved. Well, you would imitate Paul. All that you have for the sake of the gospel. Everything you care about centers on the love of God and seeing others come to love him as well because that brings him most glory. You would be zealous people because you believe in the resurrection and you want everyone to believe in the resurrection as well. You would want people to turn from their idols and turn towards the living and true God to repent and believe in him. See, what I'm saying is if you take all these passages together, we see that that phrase, the work of the Lord, is what believers do to advance the gospel among unbelievers and to establish believers in the gospel. I'll say that again. The work of the Lord that we need to be abounding in according to this passage we have this morning is what believers do to advance the gospel among unbelievers and what they do to establish other believers in the gospel. Because of the resurrection, Paul gives himself to this great work at all personal costs, and he asks the Corinthians to do the same as well. Be involved in ensuring the progress of the gospel. Can you say, can you honestly say before God this morning that your life does everything, you do everything to ensure the progress of the gospel? Because note here, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is not directed towards the leaders or the pastors. It's directed towards every single Corinthian. Abound in the work of the Lord is your calling. It's a distinctive work that no one else will do. It's a gospel labor that's not just for special Christians, pastors, or gifted people. It's for all people. Now, with everything we said let's take it all together and let's let's ask one question again that we said from the beginning how do you spend your free time what if you had more free time i was listening to a sermon uh or a discussion by philip jensen who preached in this pulpit a few years years ago down in sydney australia is where he lives and he was doing an interview with some of the conference speakers he had up front And before he called them up front, he says, I'm not going to ask these speakers the questions I hate being asked when I'm a conference speaker. And the question I hate being asked when I'm a speaker is, what are your hobbies? Philip went on to say, I hate that question because it's an attempt to connect me to the everyday Australian hedonist who lives for the weekends. But second, most notably, he says, the question presumes I'm not a Christian. For the question question is really this. What is it that you are eager to do, 
when you don't have to do anything. Philip said, I'm a Christian. I don't have to do anything, but I want to spend my time free or constrained doing things for the Lord, my Savior. He says, this has very little to to do with me as a paid minister and everything to do with me being a Christian who is convinced of God's wrath to come. It has everything to do with me being compelled by the love of Christ and the love of others. It has everything to do with my hope to see more people glorify Christ as they repent and believe in our King Jesus. It has everything to do with my belief in the resurrection that everyone will be raised, some to eternal life and others to eternal judgment. Sure, I do other things, but what do I do when I don't have to do anything? Well, that's the same thing I do for my paid job. I preach the gospel and I make disciples. Now, I know we've had a number of questions thrown at you this morning, and I'll ask just one one more. What is it that you do when you don't have to do anything? Convicting, isn't it? For very few of us in this room this morning would say anything remotely close to the lines of, I want to ensure gospel progress. I use all my energy and efforts to spend time, lots of time in praying for missionaries in Africa to preach the gospel. I use my day off to go help my neighbor with that project he has so I can figure out how to strike up a gospel conversation with him. And still few of us could showcase our lifestyle where our free time is actually spent on the one who we say we adore and our life is all about. Now, you may quibble with me about how much free time you actually have, but I don't think you can quibble about this, that whether it's long hours laboring for a better body, a better mind, a better family experience, a better rest, Whatever the case may be, there's nothing in comparison to the precious few moments that you spend abounding in the work of the Lord. We say Christ is everything and we spend all our time on ourselves. Hours versus minutes. If we're honest, we have to admit we live just like our non-resurrection believing neighbors. Living for the weekends, living for your retirement, living for your hobbies, yearning for that next pocket of free time when you will just... It's all a masking of our sinful desire to live for ourselves and not the Lord. If we admit this morning, we rarely abound in the work of the Lord. And Paul says to always abound in the work of the Lord. Friends, this has been a very convicting passage for me this summer and this week, especially as I've thought about it. What would it mean if I recommitted my life to the Lord and show itself in how I think about my free time, my extra space? This passage has haunted me all week. So this week I decided to have a Meriwether Lewis type of resolution and to journal down that resolution to redouble my efforts because I believe in the resurrection. In other words, I'm a Christian. And if you're a Christian, Paul says, you abound always in the work of the Lord. And this is what I wrote. This last May, I completed my 41st year 
and conceived that I had, in all human probability, now existed about half the period which I am to remain in this world. I reflected I had done as yet little, very little indeed, to further the gospel of Christ to those around me, or to advance the training for gospel work to those of the succeeding generation. I viewed with regret the many hours I have spent in indolence, and now sorely feel the want of the gospel fruit which those hours may have given me and those around me had they been judiciously expended. But since they are past and cannot be recalled, I dash from me the gloomy thought and resolve in the future to redouble my exertions and to live for Christ and to always abound in the work of the Lord as I have heretofore lived and abounded in labors for myself. Friends, would you join me in that resolution? Would you join me in saying that you're a Christian? Because as Paul says, Christians always abound in the work of the Lord. Now I want to direct some statements here in conclusion to a few groups of people, but I would ask that you all listen to everyone because who knows where you may fit. This morning, if you've heard what I said and been been convicted that, yeah, I should use my time better, but you are unenthused about the work of proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, and you're unmoved to figure out how to make it work, can I just tell you to keep showing up? Keep coming and sitting under God's word week in and week out, and God's word will not return void. Your affections will be changed. But I also want to ask you to come talk to me. Come talk to one of our pastors, one of our elders, because we'd love to hear from you. It's a good thing to admit, but come talk to us. Don't stay unenthused and call yourself a Christian. Let me speak directly to those disciplined people. Those people who have the ability to structure their lives, to get up at 4.30, to get their devotions in, to get their workout in, to get their healthy breakfast in, and then every half hour the rest of the day they have a really well-structured lifestyle. May I ask you, do you use your ability to structure for those who are lost? In my experience, those who have a particular structured lifestyle do so for their own self-improvement or the improvement of their immediate family and rarely structure their life for those who are lost and going to hell. Can I speak to those who are, at this point, overwhelmed with their life? Those of you who just, I don't need more to do, I don't know how to make sense of life, I don't know what to do next, just overwhelmed, can I just ask you to remember that the more other person-centered you are, the more you invest with the gospel into other people, the more you can rest assuredly that you're doing exactly what your father wants you to do. And in my experience, I think sometimes that overwhelmingness will decrease as you labor more in the Lord. More labor means less overwhelmingness. To those of you who are retired, can I say to you, and surely you know this, that you didn't work so hard in your life to finish it off going on vacations and watching sunsets. Your work now is intensified. You have perhaps more discretionary income than you ever had, and you certainly have more discretionary time. And may I say this very soberly, you will be judged and held accountable to the amount of free time 
that you have. If you say you love the Lord and you have all sorts of free time, are you always abounding in the work of the Lord? And to those of you who, who feel useless, I, I don't know what to do, Marty. I don't know how to do this abounding in the work of the Lord stuff. I, I don't know much. I fumble over words. I, what do I do? Well, let me recommend one thing that you can do. You can pray and pray more and pray more. Pray for things of the kingdom. Pray for people in gospel work. Pray for your friends to come to know the Lord Jesus. Pray for your ability to speak to them and open up the Bible. And then maybe one more thing, because prayer is so natural. We can, any of us can just open up our mouths and talk to the Lord. One more thing, invite someone to your house and pray with them about these things. And then open up the Bible and read Mark chapter one and pray. You can do something. Well, let's have some practical tips as we end. If you are convicted that you need to spend more of your effort and energies abounding in the work of the Lord, then start right now today. Before you leave, make it a priority to have one substantive conversation about Christian things with someone else. Even as simple as, hey, brother or sister, how can I pray for you this week? And commit to doing that. Here's another idea. Pick one person who is most readily available in your life right now, perhaps someone new in the faith, perhaps someone struggling to grow in the faith, and commit to read the Bible with them eight times before Christmas, just a few times a month. Up front here, we have these little bookmarks that we made. You can pick up either one of them or both of them, and you can stick them in your Bible, in the book of Colossians, and use them, and two of you can read through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, And God will bless that. Eight times before Christmas, here are some easy, helpful tools. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to know a lot. You just simply have to care. Another thing we use quite often here around Old North Church is this little pamphlet called Two Ways to Live. It's a gospel summary message. So another thing you could do, you could pick this up. There's some up here. And you can memorize the passages and memorize the key points. Maybe this is obvious, but... I'll say it this way. The more that the gospel is in you, the more the gospel will come out of you. The less that the gospel is in you, the less that the gospel will come out of you. Can you talk about the gospel with someone? If you can't, even if you can, pick up a two ways to live. Learn it. Remember a year ago when Nick challenged us to have pray three? Pick three people and pray for them that they would come to know the Lord. Recommit yourself to praying for those three. Recommit yourself to those three people each and every day. And if you haven't picked those people or you don't even remember who they are, you can start fresh again today. You could sign up for growth groups on Wednesday nights. We don't just run programs around here just so we can say we run programs to do things. We actually have an intention and purpose for that, and it actually fits exactly what we're talking about. Growth groups are meant to help you grow and abounding in the work of the Lord. So if you commit to that, you are committing to a bunch of people who with you say, this is hard. I want to spend all my time on myself, but I know that's not right. I'm going to commit myself to every Wednesday night, come and learn about the Lord Jesus. And this year, we are especially going to think about how to get the gospel out. We're going to be studying the books of Jonah and Philippians, where to have particular good messages along those points. And we're going to learn how to talk to our friends about Jesus. And finally... 
you could commit to come alongside the MAPS guys, Connor and Kyle. Here in my hand, I have this little training objectives, objectives sheet that we've made for them. And it lists all the things upon their training completion that they should be able to do. You could pick this up, we have some up here, and you could commit yourself over the next two years to do two of them. Learn how to teach children the Bible. Learn how to answer objections to the Christian faith. Explain the whole story of the Bible in 10 minutes to a group of Christians. Explain the doctrine of God's sovereignty to somebody. Tell someone the gospel. Two years, commit yourself to two things. Come pick this up. Be challenged in the abounding work of the Lord. Because what we're training Connor and Kyle with are the same things we believe all Christians should know. Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, brothers and sisters, this morning, commit yourself to being a Christian. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your conviction this morning that we, Lord, we have wasted precious time. You are our all. You are everything. You are our life. And yet, we love ourselves so much and we're sorry. Lord, change us to be like your son who came and not did his own will but your will who not came, did not come to be served but to serve who did not come to fancy himself with hobbies and pastimes but came with a mission and that's to seek and save the lost Lord may we have that same mission change us change our affections Lord we need your help Lord we do love you but we recognize this morning, Lord, how often our actions don't show it, and we're sorry. Lord, be glorified in using clay pots and vessels like us as you transform us to be like your son. Thank you for never giving up on us, Lord, and may we never give up on abounding in the work of the Lord as long as we live. Be with us, Lord. Amen.